This is the Shift Podcast. Coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast, is Canada doing a good job of supporting Ukraine? Oris, with the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, tells us how aid has helped and what needs to happen next to end the war. Dolly Parton wants Beyonce to cover her music. Will that work? Eric Albert takes us through the art of cover songs, what makes them special, and some of the best covers of all time. Plus, are you okay with Doritos removing five chips from their bags? All of that and more is on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, Let's do some Are You Okay? Are you okay with Doritos? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes they're not my first choice. But uh, on a night of gaming and, you know, pair that with some Mountain Dew. Like if you really want to just <laughs> eat crap, it is a delightful combo. Although it is the worst part about Doritos is also the best part of Doritos. The fingers. You get the Dorito yep. dust. Yep. The fingers. It gets on everything. But then it's kind of like you get a second chip after eating the one chip because everything tastes like Doritos. Absolutely. I like the sweet chili ones, except they give me heartburn. But mm. I do like them, but I just know the trade-off. Like if I eat them, I know I'm going to get heartburn. little tip, apple cider vinegar. little oh, apple cider nice. vinegar just knocks that heartburn I right out of there. That. I should you know? know that. Apple this cider is really, vinegar this, works on everything in the whole world. You bet. You guys, I'm 40 now, so you have to know these type of things, <laughs> right? I have to know. Like a of passage. Right. It's like a heartburn. It's part of, part of life now. Yeah. Uh, and to your sweet chili heat, I would counter with Cool Ranch. Oh, the, yeah. the greatest flavor of chip. The Cool Ranch. If you go in England, yeah. The bags that say original is are cool, ranch. cool Ranch. And then huh. there's nacho flavor. And in the States, I'm very jealous, they have just sweet chili. There's no Without heat. the heat. You can oh, get both. yeah. And yeah, my, I worked at a summer camp and my friend who's from New York, would that was like the best part of summer was that he would bring bags of of just sweet chili Doritos, 10 out of 10. Yeah, they also do a, uh, and I mean, they say it's limited edition. Who knows how limited it actually is? I'm sure we could find it right now. A Doritos ketchup chip. Hmm. Boom. Mind blown. I've never had them. I've seen the bag. Yeah, yeah. But is it cheese and ketchup? No, it's just just It's like a ketchup chip. Mm. It's a ketchup chip with the Doritos texture. Okay, that because I wasn't confident that I would like the ke- like I put ketchup on everything, but mm-hmm. not nachos. You know, that's a weird yeah. Combo, so no, it's it's essentially a ketchup chip, which is one of the greatest flavors of chip. But Doritos, st- like it's got the bubbles, it's like a thicker chip. It's good, but uh, okay. So the classic nacho Doritos, they haven't changed much since the '80s, except for the ads. What's the difference between a little fun and a lot? Cheese Doritos brand tortilla chips, definitely. Wow. That that commercial went on far longer. It did, and it <laughs> sounded it sounded like a new wave, like the Go Go's or the waitresses or something. <laughs> 
the, the waitresses feels accurate. I, yeah. I just every time they did they did one of those da, 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 definitely. Dr- I was like, this is it. They're wrapping it up. Nope, no, not wrapping it up. I know that Commercial was only thirty just, seconds, but it just felt like keeps on a solid minute. All eighties ads are like that. Totally, totally. It had a very juicy fruit feel to it. Uh, okay, a common complaint of Doritos is that there is uh, more, there needs to be more chips than air in the bag, and there's a reason for this. Slack fill is the difference between the actual capacity of a container and the volume of product contained within, and it can be classified as functional or non-functional. There are six categories the Code of Federal Regulations defines as functional slack fill. So, the reason these snack makers are allowed to get away with the excess air in chip bags is simply because it helps prevent damage during the shipping process, which falls under that third category. Unfortunately for us consumers, though, that means the only cure for our salty sadness is another bag of chips. Which is not a bad thing, having another bag of chips. But that, from packaging school, but now Doritos, this is shocking, has a way, way lamer excuse for all the extra air in the bag. As a result of inflation, which we are all feeling, it's a real thing, bags of Doritos will now include five fewer chips. Come on. They're literally inflating their bags. That's literally what they just did. This is what they're saying. Uh, Frito-Lay, who make the Dorito, uh, they confirmed this week how shrinkflation is forcing Doritos to shed five chips Per bag. So in the words of one representative, they can give people the same price so you can keep enjoying your Doritos. Uh, Analysts estimate they will potentially save more than $50 million by cutting down on the number of Doritos chips they put into each bag. And uh, don't be surprised, other uh, companies are doing this too. Charmin is now selling uh, 244 two-ply sheets of uh, toilet paper instead of uh, 264. Shrinkflation. Shrinkflation. It's like, it's so that you feel like everything is getting a little bit smaller. You know, the Mr. Big bar doesn't actually seem that Mr. Big, you know, shrinkflation. But yeah, this this is always, this is my pushback on this. Okay. So Mm -hmm. uh, inflation the world over, gas prices, shipping, you need to save $50 million, even though, come on, you don't, you're already rich. But when this like crazy inflation drops back down to earth, fingers crossed, are we going to get the five chips back? We right? Better. Never. We better. But Probably no, not there's, they're not going to give us the five chips back. It's the this will be the new status quo. The five <sighs> chips less in the bag is going to be what it is for the future forever. I don't know. I don't think there's anything that can stop us North Americans from doing anything in excess. We will we will, <laughs> we will add 50 chips back when things, you know, calm down. You know, that actually is a really really good idea, Brendan. If somebody is listening to this and works for, I don't know, Lay's and and you know, five more chips per bag, right? This is the marketing campaign, right? Now, with extra <laughs> chips, <laughs> right? More chips. Five more chips per have. bag than the competitor. I think it could work. I think um, it could sell. All right. Are you okay? Are you okay with potatoes? Mm, I mean, a necessary part of the chip. Of course, <laughs> I am a big fan of potatoes. Sure, uh, no, not sweet potatoes. I can't I, on their own. I like them the in. 
I like them in things. I made uh, dal for dinner tonight, like Indian dal curry. Uh, dude, you're speaking my language now. Delicious. I but love dal. Dal is so good. Here's the thing. It, I went to A&W and I ordered fries and I got sweet potato instead. And it was like, I don't want sweet. I just want fry. And, you know, I don't like it on its own there. I yeah. You know, I need it separate in a dish or something. Many restaurants like now, like many sit-down restaurants, uh, you know, the cactus clubs, uh, the the sit-down restaurants, those type of places, mm-hmm. they give you the option now when you order fries with the burger, would you like uh, sweet potato fries or regular fries? And for a long time, I always went with sweet potato fries because it felt like such an indulgence. But now I've uh, I've just reverted back because I, it's not, I'm not, I don't dislike it like Ryan, but I just feel like a regular fry goes better with a burger. Yeah, I guess. I mean, a strong sweet potato fry face right now. So mm. I just love my sweet potato fries. I love big sweet potato wedges, yam fries, whatever, yeah. wherever I can yeah. get them. I love them. Yeah, potatoes are so universal, right? I mean, French fry and chip, obviously, but then the hash brown, come on. Oh, the breakfast God, potato. Yeah, they, doing that in the air fryer, man. That's a game changer for how breakfast. About, how about potato pancake? So good. Like a latka? Yeah. yeah, like a latka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love a potato pancake. So universal and a darn good vegetable. And last year, a man in Australia found a potato that could feed a family of 45. Wow. Yes, 45. Its name is Doug. Its name. The potato, not the farmer. It's a chance discovery in a New Zealand veggie patch. I got the fork and jabbed into it and hoisted it out of the ground and holy snapping turtle teeth. What's going on here? What what is it? Colin and Donna were shocked. It needed a taste test to find out what was below all that dirt. I said to Donna, I said, no, it's a potato. And she went, no. I said, yeah, it is. The giant potato weighed in at 7.9 kilograms, a hefty spud in anyone's language. But for these trans-Tasman gardeners... Colin is from Victoria, Donna from New Zealand. It's a chance at worldwide glory. They've applied to the Guinness World Records team. The current holder is a mere 4.9 kilogram potato in the UK. If we have it confirmed, there will be a celebration. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, actually, actually, I'm thinking. Since I'm a bit of a, a hobbyist home brewer, I'm thinking about a special vodka. But not using their prized potato, of course. They've called it Doug by name and nature. And he's now kept in the deep freeze, except for when he's taken out on a trolley to satisfy the curiosity of the locals. Uh, Two points. One, we went through all of the variations of potato and didn't mention vodka, perhaps the greatest iteration of the potato. And two, who has a deep freeze that big that it can fit? Like what? What are you keeping in the deep freeze? He puts it on a little wheelbarrow. It's adorable. It's uh. It's interesting, but we have a scandal. By the way, this is from Sky News in Australia. Just thus the holy snapping turtle teeth uh, (laughs) accent. (laughs) Colin Craig Brown, who first hit the tuber with a hoe last August when gardening with his wife Donna, said it sure looked and tasted like a potato. Mind you, he added he's never tasted a gourd tuber. After months of submitting photos and paperwork, the couple got the bad news. From Guinness in an email last week, dear Colin, the email begins going on to say, sadly, the specimen that you have found is not a potato and is, in fact, the tuber of a type of gourd. 
For this reason, we do not unfortunately we do unfortunately have to disqualify the application. Yes, Doug, thought to be a potato, is a gourd. No, what's what do you what what's the difference? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, what the difference a gourd is, is like different. It's well, I don't know. I've never really gourd. eaten one. When I think, I always think gourd like a oh, pumpkin. Weird. You know. A oh gourd. yeah, this is what the this is what the Irish used to for the first Halloween. This is right. what they would carve instead of a, a pumpkin. Yeah. Um, so I, no this potato. Is devastating news. Yeah. Yeah. Doug I mean, I guess they'll just impressive specimen. Yeah. Have to keep it in the uh, giant freezer until Halloween. Yeah. Well, I guess carve it instead of Doug. They can call him Gord, right? Oh, I get it. <laughs> God. That's no, yeah, that's that's the best. The best. <laughs> Best joke of the night. All right. Are you okay with Rod Stewart? Uh, yeah. Yeah I, think, yeah, I think Rod Stewart's pretty cool. Um, I, You know what's funny? I thought that he was like 100 years old. Like, yeah. I remember yes. being a kid watching the South Park episode where like Rod Stewart comes out on stage and he's like literally a skeleton and I grew up, everybody saying, Rod Stewart's so old. He's only in his 70s, which is it's not, not that, that old, old no. in the saga of classic rock and roll, especially for the Brits, who just seem to be indestructible. Yeah. Brendan, you okay with Rod Stewart? Uh, my mom loved Rod Stewart when I was a kid and uh, used to blast the Rod Stewart cassettes in our Dodge minivan yeah. as we were driving about back in the early to mid-90s. So, no, no, I'm, I'm not okay with <laughs> See, Rod Stewart. It's funny because you say um, your mom loved Rod Stewart. My mom loved Rod Stewart. It's one of the first uh, artists that I can remember taking my parents' tape, not because I was all about the music, but just because it was an artist that I could just take the tape and sort of knew the songs and knew how to sing along with the songs, even though they were so cheesy. Like he did that three-way ballad with Sting and, and yeah. Brian Adams. Yeah. You guys remember that? Yeah. But here, let me, let me flip your Rod Stewart impression on its head. You got, maybe you, maybe you guys know this, but perhaps not. Rod Stewart was in the running to be the lead singer of Led Zeppelin. Oh, oh, really? I knew wow. I, you didn't know. This is this is factual. This what? is true. So when Jimmy Page was putting together Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, Robert Plant was on the list, but they also seriously considered Rod Stewart. One, he's a, he's a sex machine, right? But women look at him and think, "Oh my gosh, incredible!" And two, the guy can sing. Like Robert Plant, he can sing and Google it. It's the truth. It's the truth. But imagine Led Zeppelin, who at the time, nobody rocked harder than Zeppelin with Rod Stewart singing those licks, singing Immigrant Song. I don't know. You can't. (laughs) Right? You can't. But like my my question is, would it would it have been a different like could we have had Led Zeppelin? It's like, would Rod Stewart have fit that mold? Would he like, is the Rod Stewart that we know, we just know him because that's, that's what worked for him. But if, if he had done hard rock, it would have been hard rock, Rod Stewart. I, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to debate it because Robert Plant's solo stuff yep. is terrible. Yep. It's terrible. I cannot stand his solo work. And so maybe, you know, if Rod Stewart was in this, in the same position, the rocking nature of just Led Zeppelin as a band would have brought out this heavy right? rock 
version of Rod Stewart. I'm not saying that it would work. I'm saying it's possible. I don't know. I don't think he had the vocal. I don't think he has the vocal range. I just can't see him doing like yeah, that intro different. to immigrant song and those other songs. For sure. That, ah, and I'm I, like, he can't, like, I can't do it. So it's really interesting thing, hey? But, I mean, so much, I mean, we're all huge Led Zeppelin fans. So much of the Zeppelin identity is from the entire band. So it's not like Zeppelin would have been this soft rock, cheesy Rod Stewart thing. But there you go. Uh, true fun fact. Now, let's continue. The British rocker, and by the way, he is also a knight, uh, famous for, you know, the, the songs, the rhythm of your heart. Uh, he's now famous for filling potholes. Sir Rod Stewart was concerned about what potholes might do to his luxury car and he's taking matters into his own hands. He took to the street near his Essex, Essex County, England home to shovel gravel into potholes because no one bothered to do it. He even put on a yellow safety vest, green sneakers, and a track suit, and he can be seen shoveling gravel out of the back of a truck with a bunch of his buddies. So this is where Sir Rod tried to fill the potholes. It's a fairly large area where cars have really struggled to get over them, even causing punctures for emergency vehicles. But several locals have told us it wouldn't be so bad if he'd done a proper job, but at least he tried. Good on him. I mean, at the end of the day, to me, he shouldn't have had to. You know, it should have been done in the first place. Well, I think it was great what he's done, really and truly. I mean, I come this way to visit my daughter and, and there's times when you just can't drive the road if i go fast the car it's like the shock observers they're all gone and i'm a carer i would just work around the corner every time and the, the roads need to be done it was really really bad you couldn't drive through this you had to go the back way you couldn't yeah. you couldn't drive through this before you done what you've done the rock star's instagram post received more than eighty-five thousand likes with many admiring his handiwork but Essex Highways have warned people not to take action themselves, saying, while we appreciate Sir Rod's commitment and community spirit, we discourage anyone from carrying out work on the roads themselves. Without proper traffic management and other specific safety measures, residents are putting themselves and others at risk. I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can hate on the guy. He's doing the no. right thing. He's, try, he's trying to like serve his community and protect yep. his, his fancy luxury car, whatever it is. It's a but Ferrari. He, is it? Yeah, he said, I don't want, I'm, he was worried about his Ferrari. The only problem is he like, they did a really terrible job. <laughs> 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 the new skirt drove over the road and it, it apparently is better, but it is not good. It's I mean, so, I, he's, he's a rock star. He's not a laborer, you know? in did, his late 70s. Yeah. But he did it. I can't. I'm not going to disrespect him. I, I respect it. And, you know, it has brought attention to the issue. So hopefully the people who should be responsible for these things in the first place take note and uh, go and do the job to protect Rod's Ferrari. I'm betting it's the most work he's like physical labor he's probably ever done <laughs> in his life. I also when you hear a story like this, can he not just hire somebody to do it? You know, a private contractor. I mean, he's Rod Stewart. If he can afford a Ferrari, you got to think that he can afford to hire like a paving company to come out and fix fix the pothole. Yeah, but then like the PR people are probably like, that's not as good a story. Rod, you got to go out there and do it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Wouldn't want to smash up that expensive Ferrari, Rod Stewart. This is the Shift Podcast. Shane and Ryan and Brendan have been doing fantastic work, as has so many media 
people and organizations in our country talking about what's happening in Ukraine. Um, and tonight, I, for the first time, I'm going to get a chance to speak with somebody from Ukraine. Orst Zakadelsky is a senior policy analyst with the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, and uh, he joins me by phone right now. So first off, thanks for being with us, Orst. And as I mentioned, I haven't had a chance to actually speak to anybody uh, with as from Ukraine or as close to you what is going on there as you are. So I'm really grateful uh, for the opportunity and for all the work that you're doing. Uh, UCC.ca is the website, by the way, tons of information there. We'll mention that again off the back. But uh, first, Oris, how are you doing and how are things going uh, sort of right now? We're almost, I guess, a month into, uh, close to a month into this thing. And uh, how how are things going from your perspective? Well, so I'll answer your question in two parts okay Uh, the the first part is is that um the ukrainian army and the ukrainian people are defending their country with incredible uh bravery and valor uh what was supposed to be you know an easy conquest for the russians has bogged down uh ukrainians are fighting back they're fighting back everywhere uh they're inflicting heavy losses on the russians and the russians are stuck yeah um so that's the first part of my answer the second part is that because the russians are stuck they've taken to basically a campaign of genocide and indiscriminate shelling and air attacks on Ukrainian cities, on Ukrainian civilians, on women, children, and people who have nothing to do with the war. Uh, and so what we've seen is an incredible humanitarian crisis that uh, is the worst in Europe since the end of the Second World War. Um, there's over 3 million Ukrainians who in three weeks have have had to, to flee the country and are in... Uh, uh, the western parts uh, along the western border, Poland, Moldova, uh, other countries, uh, and so really, this is the 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 story is twofold. Uh, the first part being the the incredible resistance that Ukrainians are putting up, defending their homes, and the second being the uh, just appalling and disgraceful. Uh, actions of the Russians in targeting civilians um, and women and children and innocent people. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's like, that's incredibly heavy thing uh, to try to, to try to process. And I think that that's the thing for so many uh, Canadians, myself uh, and the world at large is just processing what's, what's going on. Like, uh, and and to your point, like the will of the Ukrainian people is, I mean, it's inspiring. It's it's incredible to sort of watch how how things are are transpiring. But um, OK, so you're with the C- Ukrainian Canadian Congress. So can you tell us like a little bit about or maybe a lot like about what you do and what your work does uh, for the people and what you guys are doing for the people of Ukraine right now? So quickly, we are. Uh, a federation of all the 
Ukrainian community organizations in Canada. Uh, so we represent the kind of the organized Ukrainian community. Um, and so part of our work is advocating for strong support from the Canadian government to the Ukrainian people. And the second part of our work right now is focused on the delivery of humanitarian assistance to Ukraine and to people who have fled. And the third part of our work is going to be uh, assisting those who come to Canada who have had to leave Ukraine because of the war. Okay. So we're, as a community right now, we're focused on those three uh, areas and those three three directions to do work in. Yeah, and you talk about uh, like um, uh, advocating and and you know sort of uh, pushing the Canadian government to be doing more. Do you feel what what more could um, our country and uh, maybe as a secondary part of this question, what more can Canadian people um, be doing to help? So on the what the government can do, I think the government should be working with uh, NATO allies to implement and enforce the no-fly zone over Ukrainian territory and failing that to at least provide the Ukrainians with enough air defense and anti-missile systems to uh, take out the Russian uh, air attacks and, and missile and artillery attacks on Ukrainian cities. So that is our first and most important ask of the of the Canadian government in terms of support for uh, Ukraine's war effort. Uh, what I would ask Canadians to do is to uh, write to their MPs to sign petitions. There's also the, the, what, to to support that policy. Uh, there's a lot of information on our website about how you can do that, ucc.ca. Uh, and the the second and third part of of what I would ask Canadians to do is to, if you're able to donate money to humanitarian relief efforts. We're working with the Canada-Ukraine Foundation uh, on delivery of humanitarian relief. Uh, and you can find information on how to donate on our website as well. And the third thing I would ask is that, you know, to the extent people are able to donate time or uh, perhaps even are willing to take in uh, a Ukrainian family who will be coming to, to Canada uh, as as immigrants or refugees to uh, think about doing that. Um, and you can find information about that on our website as well. Great. Yeah. Those are some really practical um, ways that uh, we can get involved. It's really easy just as like a, a, a person living in Canada to look at this and feel heartbroken, but uh, sometimes just feel like, gosh, I wish I could do something. Um, um, what, what is there that I can do, but it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard this, that, uh, Canada has the largest population of Ukrainians outside of Ukraine. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, perhaps Poland, but yes, I think Ukraine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, how, how, uh, has the community here in Canada responded to this? How are, how are they feeling? Do you talk to people every day who are, thinking about going back? Do you talk to people that are uh, glad that they're here? What's the reaction there? Well, I think the reaction right now from everyone in the community, I mean, everybody is mobilized and, and working. So we really don't have a lot of time to, to think about what's going on. We're, we're really working on 
responding to the needs uh, and and to uh, gathering assistance. So, I mean, we've seen, I think, you know, truly from coast to coast to coast and in, in large cities and small communities, uh, people are are organizing rallies and demonstrations and, uh, you know, drives to collect everything from, you know, clothing to medicine to uh, uh, other humanitarian assistance. So people really on the, on in, at the grassroots in our community, I mean, it's, it's really a kind of all in effort by everyone to do uh, what they can to help. And it's really, I think, overwhelming but in a in in the good sense of the in the best sense of the word overwhelming yeah even even the way uh you say that is kind of illuminating to me the way that i'm just like oh so what's like what's the vibe like and the way that you're like man there had there's not even time to to even think about how we feel it's about mobilization and action and trying to do everything we can at every level to to help. And, you know, I, uh, wow, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you are, is this tiring for you? Do you feel like you're, you're at this stage of like, it's kind of the same thing every day. Do you feel like there is, and I guess maybe as a second part of that, like what, what does, what does the future of this look like? Do you anticipate this being a long thing? I know that's a question I get asked a lot. Do do you think this is going to be over in a matter of months, years, what's your outlook like? I think that the length of how long this horror lasts is in some part depends on how strongly uh, Canada, the U.S., yeah. Britain, other Western allies respond to it. I think we have the power uh, to make this, uh, to, to help the Ukrainians defeat Russia and I think we should be doing what we can to to ensure that. Uh, and so I I would just say that the you know our governments need to be much much stronger and much more forceful about the assistance that they're giving Ukraine and uh, about the sanctions that they're putting on Russia. So I mean, you asked me if I was tired. I mean, no, I'm not tired. I'll, I'll like many others, I'll rest when this is over. But. Mm. Um, uh, how long it will last and how terrible it will get um, is is in in some measure uh, up to us. Uh, what we know is that Russia is not going to stop. I mean, this guy is you know to move from bombing cities and hospitals and and murdering children to using you know chemical weapons is not that big a leap. And and um, you know, I think he's capable of anything and we need to to do everything we can to to stop this before uh, it spreads beyond Ukraine. And I think that that uh, if we don't stop him in Ukraine, we will be worried about him in Poland or in the Baltics or uh, in other places. And Canada has a big, long border with Russia. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, for other Canadians, for Canadians who think that this is a, you know, conflict between people far away from them, it's not, we are part of this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's always uh, great, great to hear. And uh, I mean, I, I agree. Wow. 
Heavy stuff. Um, one of the things that you've sort of touched on and that has kind of become one of the narratives here is, uh, again, just this will of, of the Ukrainian people. One of the things that like I saw this video yesterday of Russian soldiers walked into a, a, an elderly woman's backyard and she was just like she sh- she shooed them out. It's just no fear, just no like so much pride and so much willingness. Uh, it seems like at every level of the country and every level of the of of citizen to just stand stand up for what is yours and uh, maybe we're so we're so in awe of that because it seems so rare in other parts of the world especially in the west where we've never really had to worry about those type of things um can you speak to that at all where that comes from where this this resolve and this uh passion and pride and eagerness to fight and to stand up for what's yours i mean president zelensky has been um, you know, there's talks of a movie and just the, how inspiring this guy is. It's really incredible to watch. Um, but of course, it's we understand how serious it is. But maybe can you speak to that? Where does that come from for the, for the Ukrainian people? Well, I was talking to uh, someone over there who told me that, uh, you know, you get two Ukrainians in a room and soon you'll have three political parties. But if you <laughs> but if you uh, Attack them suddenly you have one family ah. and so um i think what we see is 45 million people united into one family fighting for their homes uh fighting to protect their children and fighting to protect their children's future and i think that that is something that there's not an army in the world that can can defeat and so um uh that's just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I can only just say that that's just the way it is. And these people are inspiring uh, uh, everyone. And I think that they are uh, deserving of any uh, help that we can give them in their struggle. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Orest Zakadelsky uh, from the Ukrainian Canadian Council um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know you're extremely busy and have a ton of work to do, but uh, we stand with you and uh, hope for all the best and hope to be able to talk with you again soon. Well, thank you. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you whenever you'll have. Awesome. Thanks, Orst. This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, there was an interesting music story this week that got uh, got my head spinning. Maybe you saw this. Uh, Dolly Parton was on with Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, and she mentioned on that show that one of the things that she would like to see is Beyonce do a cover of Jolene. Jolene, one of the most iconic songs of all time. Uh, Dolly Parton's potentially most famous song. It's definitely in the conversation. And she said that she would love to see Beyonce, a woman who has incredible vocal range, incredible power, uh, and is a superstar by every single account, do her, do a cover of it. And what's really interesting is, uh, one of Whitney Hughes, excuse me, one of Dolly Parton's other biggest songs ever is already been covered by Whitney Houston. That's I Will Always Love You. And interestingly, they bro- she wrote those songs on the same day, Jolene and I Will Always Love You. Dolly Parton wrote those two songs, two of the biggest, most influential songs of all time ever in the same day. And now one of them has been covered and gone on to be a huge success. And now 
Dolly Parton wants Beyonce to cover the other one. And it got us talking, got us thinking, got me thinking about cover tunes because I love a good cover tune. We listen to music all the time. It has this incredible impact on our life. A song, uh, it holds certain meaning. It relates you to a time, to a place you were at. And then somebody else comes and takes that song and those lyrics and puts a different spin on it and, and changes it. And now the song, in many cases, can take on an entirely different meaning, represent something entirely different, and can appeal to a totally different audience, which is what I think would happen with Jolene. You know, a lot of young people probably aren't familiar with that song, but if Beyonce did it, it would be huge. It would open up this Dolly Parton world to a whole group of people. It's a really interesting thing, the whole covered thing, right? 877-399-9898 is our number. Uh, You can call or text, what do you think is the greatest cover song ever recorded? Or maybe just your favorite, or what song should be included in the conversation. And uh, here to help us further that conversation is Eric Alper. He is a music journalist, a music reporter, a man who knows everything about music and loves to talk music. And I love to talk music with him. He's on the phone with us. And uh, okay, so you saw this story as well, I'm sure, Eric, about Dolly Parton wanting Beyonce to cover Jolene. I think that would just be incredible. Uh, Do you think that if she did that, that Beyonce's version of that could be a hit, could go to number one? It could be. Um, But, you know, the mark of a really good cover song is not only do you have to be original, meaning that the cover artist has to bring something different to the style of it, but you have to have a point in covering it. It could be a song that is more relevant now, let's say, than it was five or ten years ago because of the of the lyrical content. But Beyonce covering Jolene is a little bit weird because it's almost like. You know, with Dolly Parton singing it originally, it was almost like a pleading, you know, like to her of not to break her, you know, not to break his heart and and be vulnerable. If there's one word that comes that never comes to mind when it comes to Beyonce is vulnerable Um, because she's the most powerful person on the planet and probably other galaxies as well. Um, (laughs) So it would be interesting to hear what she was able to do with it because, you know, she makes her everything her own, really. Yeah. And I mean, you you bring up some interesting points there. Like that's, that's absolutely a good take. But one of the things that I think about is, you know, you talk to people about music and stuff and there's almost this generational thing, you know, and I think so many people think of Dolly Parton and may, may not necessarily be friends of hers and not even really familiar with some of her work, you know, and this is an opportunity to expose a whole bunch of like an entire new generation to a song that you know, by many accounts is one of the greatest ever written by one of the greatest artists. Cause I think yeah. we see that a lot these days, right. Where people are like, Oh my gosh, I, I love that song. I love that hook. I love that beat. And we're like, that's, that's, song is like 40 years old you know it's a cover and people don't even realize it yeah and you know for a lot of the 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 new generation of music lovers that are say between the ages of eight and 20 they probably know dolly barton because if you're in the u.s you might have received a couple of books from her um Mm -hmm. as part of her imagination library program you have no idea that she might have wrote I will always love you and Jolene on the same day in the right. 1970s or appeared on hee-haw. Um, you know, that would just, I mean, 
if you're in the southern stage watching Hee Haw now would just elevate you to a new form of hatred and embarrassment for maybe your own culture in the way that you were treated. But, you know, in a, in a sense of, you know, a song like, say, Tainted Love that was written um by Ed Cobb in the 60s and done by Gloria Jones. It's an R&B song, but it took Soft Cell's version of the 1980s to break it big because Soft Cell's Tainted Love had a little bit more to do with the AIDS crisis that was going on. It was like that love was dangerous. And so with Jolene, for instance, it's not just the fact that Beyonce is covering it that's going to be massive on TikTok if there's a line or two or a structure or a note of the song that can bring it to a whole new light then yeah I think it could absolutely explode and go back up to number one again it would be like say Beyonce doing girls just want to have fun people like you and I would sit there and say yes girls always wanted to have fun but maybe they're just tired psychologically mentally and physically of you know, carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. And now they just want to have fun. So it has a new relevance to every generation. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the coolest things about music, you know, is the stuff that the Rolling Stones, what it means to me is different than it, what it meant to my parents. And yeah. hopefully it will be different what it means to, to my kids. And music just has this incredible power to do that. And I feel like now, we're really starting to see that because of, like you say, TikTok and the internet. Yeah. And I mean, it's always been that way, but it's really cool to reflect on how music appeals to different audiences and new audiences and stuff. But okay. So you brought up tainted love, which I think always gets brought up in this conversation about what makes it, what makes a great cover. What is a great cover? You know, I hear that one and then I hear nothing compares to you, you know, yeah. people always bring those ones up. Um, what what do you think are some of the greatest covers ever recorded? And maybe even some, because like I said, we always hear Tainted Love. We always hear Nothing Compares to You. Um, what are some that maybe people aren't really aware of that it's like, wow, you're going to dig deep and find something really, really great? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, when Rolling Stone magazine came out with the 500 best songs of all time, uh, Respect by Aretha Franklin was number one, jumped out of seemingly in the top 20, um, the last time that they did this back in 2004, um, to being number one. That's a cover song. It was actually written and recorded by Otis Redding um, that his response to us writing a song like that was that the woman has to respect him. I'm the man. It's a man's, 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 right. man's, man's world, like Jane Brown had said. But when Aretha started to do it and when her version came out back in 1967 that was the birth of feminism that was the birth of black power of beauty when it comes to black women they had their own magazine in ebony you had gloria steinem um out and about for the for the first time in the general public in that kind of a way so respect happens to be, I think, one of the greatest songs of all time. And then when you end up with Nothing Compared to You, which is a cover song that printed, or even Girls Just Want to Have Fun, that was a cover song um, that was written by a male that was just all about, you know, watching his girlfriends go out on a Friday night, that girls just want to have fun. And then when Cindy Lauper does it, it's almost like a, a proto-feminist version of the song. But then, you know, you got songs like All Along the Watchtower mm -hmm. by Jimmy Hendrick that was originally Bob Dylan that completely elevated to a new world and even a song like Hallelujah that was oh, written yeah. by Leonard Cohen I think it's something like 
300 different versions are out there, but Jeff Buckley seems to have, you know, the, the one along with maybe Katie Lang. Cause I think every now and again, that song comes up in a time of crisis, in a time of disaster, in a time of solemn need for music to, to come and support us and save us. So those songs are always at the top of my list for the best covers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that, uh, the Jeff Buckley, hallelujah. I mean, uh, it's it's almost like and I want to get to this, but it's almost like his version has become the the yeah. definitive version. You know, uh, it's the one that when people are like, oh, I love I, that's one of my favorite songs. That's the version that they're referencing. And uh, so we, we had emailed back and forth about this. And you mentioned Johnny Cash's version of Hurt, yeah. which gets talked about a lot. Now, maybe you can clear this up for me because, you know, I, I don't I don't know if this is a rumor or it's just something that people like to say, but they're not the same person. <laughs> Let, let's start that rumor and then sure. let's put it to bed yeah. sure but so so trent reznor he's he said or maybe he didn't say but that after he heard johnny cash's version of hurt he was like it's his song yeah now did that happen yeah he actually said that that song isn't mine anymore that Johnny Cash essentially owns it. You know, when you hear Johnny Cash saying the lines of the song, like all my friends have gone away. It's, it's a guy who's in his late seventies, early eighties, singing that song about his friends dying in probably the same way that Trent Reznor wrote it back in 1995, when maybe his friends that went away either moved, got married, had kids, or perhaps overdosed because of the drug epidemic that was happening in music around that time with Kurt Cobain and other people as well. So when you have a song like that, that's sung by, you know, the Mount Rushmore that is Johnny Cash, there's a certain gravitas that comes with singing and hearing the lyrics that really it's the same lyrics but it has a whole new meaning and that's what makes a great cover song as well awesome man it's such a cool thing and uh so i guess like do do you think uh, maybe we'll end it with this when you hear an artist like dolly parton put something out there in the universe now do you think that makes it more likely that beyonce will do this or less likely I think it makes it less likely, but I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see 200 or 300 cover songs on TikTok by teenagers that would be like, who's this woman telling Beyonce what to do? Let me listen to the song. Oh, it's actually really good. And then they'll start to do their own covers, bringing a whole new audience and a whole new generation of Dolly all over again. Very cool. Eric Alper is with us, that ericalper.com. Or uh, if you know where he's at, you can drop by his backyard and chat music all day long. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, man. It's always a great chat. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Beyonce doing that cover. I, I think I think it would work. I think it would go. I think it would be a huge hit. I I'd like to see it. I hope she does it just to sort of say, you know what? Fine. I can I can, you know, pay my respects to Dolly. I can do it. What do you guys think? Hmm. Uh I'd be interested to see how it works, but I think Eric raises the best point about the whole cover conversation. What makes a good cover is why you made the cover or hmm. what you can bring to the song. And yeah, like Dolly Parton's vulnerability in Jolene is incredibly important. And he, when he said like Beyonce is the strongest woman in the world. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> it's, it's, Beyonce. it's true. Yeah. But at the same time, I kind of would love to hear 
what vulnerable Beyonce would sound like. Yeah. We're all vulnerable. Uh, if she came out with it tomorrow, would I listen to it? Absolutely. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, an unsigned texture here that says uh, Miley Cyrus did a cover of Jolene and it's incredible. I've, I've heard that. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but I, it just to me, it sounds like an updated yep. version of Dolly's version. I'd yeah, like to hear basically. a different take on it. Well, yeah, and I good. think Beyonce would do a completely different take. Instead of being the vulnerable female character in the song, why couldn't she just be the defiant one, being like, don't take my man, uh, you know? Yeah. Like, and has Beyonce not gone through a, a, a real-life scenario like this where uh, somebody was trying to take her man, and didn't we get... A couple of incredible albums out of it. Didn't that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah Lemonade. And 444, right? And, That's and like 444. 444, which I liked. Yeah. Uh, but of course, it begs the question, uh, cover songs. Let's talk about cover songs. Tons of texts coming in. Uh, 877-399-9898. Uh, Faith No More's cover of War Pigs and Disturbed's cover of Land of Confusion. Okay. Who are a little bit heavy. Uh, the Kings cover of Bruce Springsteen's Blinded by the Light. Okay. Not sure if that's the greatest cover ever. Some people think it is. Uh, I'll Be Missing You by Puff Daddy. Okay. That's one. I mean, it was a huge, huge, huge hit. I would say that one of the things that makes a cover song so excellent is if the original song is excellent. You know, like, I don't think, I don't think it happens very often that we get a cover song and we're like, that song is great, but the original really, really sucked. You know, like one of my favorite covers of all time is the Dixie chicks or just the chicks as they're called now landslide. Mm, Do you have that clip, Brendan? It's okay. If you don't, uh, that, that to me is an incredible cover and yeah, here it is. So good. That is an incredible cover because the original is an incredible song. It's one of the best songs ever made. I complete. I completely agree. I think it's one of the greatest songs ever written by one of the greatest bands ever, Fleetwood Mac. So it makes sense that a capable uh, group of women or a capable artist is going to be able to do a good cover of that. You know, another instance that we talked about with Eric there is uh, Hurt, Johnny Cash's version of Hurt. Well, Hurt is a fantastic song. You know, I don't know. What do you, where, where are you guys at? What are you at for uh, great cover songs? So, yeah, Hurt by Johnny Cash. You're right. Like, I there's, I love Nine Inch Nails, but it's hard to go back and listen to that version because Johnny Cash's is perfect. Um, my favorite cover of all time is uh, this one is definitely up here, the Landslide. Um, I very much adore All Along the Watchtower by Hendrix just because I think it completely eclipses dylan's version um it's just like sonically so much more interesting and it's punchy uh and it just makes a lot of sense coming from Jimi hendrix back oh then. like the sixth and man trying to find a copy of electric ladyland and like a good condition vinyl from back then is very tough and this is a song i must must have uh, in my collection it's certainly the Hendrix version is, in my mind, the only version. 
you know, and I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan, but the Jimi Hendrix version is the only version. Uh, the original Bob Dylan song, Tweeter and the Monkey Man, was originally a Bob Dylan song, but the Headstones knocked it out of the park. Yeah. That's from Trucker Dan. Yeah, that's yeah. True. that is a good one. That's like a good that one. one. That's a good one. Brendan Kelly, you're a big music fan. Yeah, uh, one that um, you talk about how the original and the uh, cover, um, you know, they kind of both got to be great. And one where they are both great is uh, this one. Gary Jules did this in the mid-2000s, Mad World. And it's already a dark song, and Tears for Fears' song is great, and it is amazing, and it's very dark and moody. But Gary Jules found some way to make it darker and moodier. And yeah, I love this song. It's a great song. But because the original is so great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, It's such a fun thing to see another artist's rendition of a song. And there are lots of songs, too, that exist out there. Like we talk about the Hendrix thing where it's like, that's the version. You know, we didn't even, lots of people don't even know that uh, Dylan covered it. Or Dylan was the person that wrote it. Um, One example that comes to mind all the time is uh, Sinead O'Connor's Nothing compares to you. That's a that's a cover, right? Exactly. I had no idea. Exactly. Uh, so nothing compares to you. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Again, and the original, Brendan. If we have the clip, is by Prince. However, no, the original is not by Prince. Prince's is also a cover. What? I'm very one hundred percent sure. Look at me. Nothing compares to you. I remember looking this up. It's by someone else originally. Oh, no, I guess it is written by Prince. I thought he covered... Oh, it was by his side project, The Family. That's why. It's credited to The Family. Uh, Okay, so that makes sense. But Prince wrote that song, right? And Prince is one of the biggest artists ever. But I mean, like, that's wild. It, it, yeah. it's Prince, wild. and it doesn't even hold a candle to the Sinead version. No, to, to it really me, doesn't. it's no, her. It's her either. song. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. It's her song. Uh, someone here, Mark, on the text at eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. The Red Hot Chili Peppers cover of "Higher Ground" by Stevie yeah. Wonder. I was going to say that one. actually too. That's what I like that one. I like. I might be blasphemous to say, but I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers version slightly better than the original. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.